You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. The Art History Babes are going to New York and we want you guys to come with us. Spend five days in New York City, December 18th through the 23rd with us. We're going to hit all sorts of art museums, do some underground art things, eat good food, drink wine while we'll staying in the same hotel. It's going to be magical. If you are interested, head to likemindstravel.com. It'll be linked below for you. And you can jump on the mailing list so you know when packages become available. And we hope to see you there. Also, in case you missed it, Big, exciting announcement. The Art History Babes are writing a book. We're totally stoked on it. Very excited. But as you can imagine, a lot of work goes into writing a book. So if you would like to help fund our book writing and essentially make it so we can keep releasing content consistently while we write, please consider becoming a patron. Patreon.com slash Art History Babes. Every dollar helps. We very much appreciate our patrons. You guys are the best. If everyone that listens to the Art History Babes regularly donated even $1 a month, we would be in a pretty legit position. So if you can afford to help even just a little bit, we really, really, really appreciate it. And we really appreciate all you guys. Got another throwback episode for you, originally released on October 30th, 2017. Please enjoy this episode on our favorite 15th century weirdo, Hieronymus Bosch. We are babes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Nat. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. We're the Art History Babes. That was nice. <laughs> New jingle? Like a fade out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, banter. We're supposed to banter at the beginning of these things. What do oh, we have I, to banter about? I have something. Yeah, um, banter. Yeah. Recent coincidence. So my best friend from high school is living down in Long Beach, and she was just telling me that her new roommate, shout out uh, Marissa, we have not met, nice to meet you, <laughs> is a listener and didn't know that we were friends. So That is a small-ass world. It is a small-world situation. And, like, let me also say, my friend, yeah, she goes to Long Beach, but she's she works for SpaceX, and she's in finance. So it's not even like <laughs> she's, like, in the arts, and this is like an, oh, well, of course. Like, no. Yeah. Not at like, all. Yeah. yeah. This is a very, very random coincidence. Yeah. So That's super dope. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks for listening, Marissa. Excited to meet you at some point. Hey, Marissa. Does she have, like, a background in art? Is she into art? Um, I don't know, honestly. Well, come yeah, on the show. Like, two nights ago. <laughs> I know that she's interested in podcasts and podcasting, potentially. So oh, cool. I said that any question she has of that nature, that we would be happy 
For sure. To give her our sage advice. Yeah. If, I mean, if <laughs> she has some kind of topic she'd want to discuss, like, come come on on. Yeah. Come on on. Come on on on. Come on on. Come on on on. Come to the on. on on on. Okay. Come on to the show. I'm just going to eat an oat cake. Can you guys tell this is our second recording in one night? Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're at that tipsy point, which, I mean, that's when shit gets fun. Like, it let's is. be real. Plus, like, we did a lot of fun things in between. Like, we watched that video of the bad. <laughs> And okay, daddy. <laughs> so there's a video that you have to watch if you haven't seen it. Just type in like bat flies around Irish family kitchen and it'll come up and it's the most amazing thing. Like this little bat is trapped in a kitchen and the son is like filming his dad trying to catch it like narrating and he has like the best best Irish accent of mm-hmm. all Irish accents yeah. I've heard. It, it almost seems fake. I like, know, because so when good. I heard it at first, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so, oh, but it's so but fucking funny. the bat funny. is real, guys. You can the see bat it. Is, the bat <laughs> is very real. And yeah. I love bats, so. Yeah. Bats are fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. We have friends. Did you see Face and Bats and Brew or Brewing bats. Or? Yeah, I'd want to go to that immediately. No, it's not far from here. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I would love to drink and check out some bats. That sounds yeah. fucking get, dope. We get bats over at my parents' place. <laughs> my cat you caught get... one and brought it inside one night, and my oh. mom was pissed. Yeah. So you can get us some bats, is what you're saying? I could get you some bats. Just put my cat <gasps> Cappy on it, and she'll she'll get you some bats. Still Cappy, no kills, Cappy. Yeah. She well, you know, she really likes the torturing aspect, so I'm sure she'd bring oh, it back alive. Yeah, I know. It's she's such a lover, but she's so sadistic at the same time. It's very weird yeah. for me to come to terms with. That cats, seems, man, seems normal. For that's cat, pretty. Right? Yeah, yeah, it that's is. Very it is normal. very normal. Yeah. Cats, I love them because they're fascinating. But like, they're tiny little sadists. Yeah, they really are. You can't you can't go to a cat for for the same comfort. You would get from from a dog. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Cappy's pretty good. Like she's kind of close. She's super cuddly. That's what's weird. But my he, other cat's kind of a bitch. Nice. So you would expect her to be like the killer. But Cappy's she's all of it. She's extremes. She's a lover and a fucking murderer. <laughs> but even with cuddly cats, because I I've definitely had my share of experience with cuddly cats, and I appreciate cuddly cats. It's just a it's a different vibe from the dog. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. the cat will cuddle you, which is great, but it's like. There's always that that general understanding of like I'm fine without you. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? she's completely fine. Dogs worlds like literally center around you. Yeah. You are like the epicenter of all that they know. Mm-hmm. And for that they're eternally grateful. I read this thing. There's the occasional asshole dog, it's true. Oh yeah. I read this thing and I don't understand like animal science is so fascinating to me because I don't understand how they actually know these things and part of me is very skeptical, but I love it anyways. But I read this thing that so dogs the way their brains work, mm-hmm. when they see humans, they register that humans are different from them, right? Mm-hmm. So it registers in their brain that it's not the same thing as a dog. Like, So basically to dogs, they see us, they're like, you are different, but I love you, yeah. right? That's yeah. basically like a yeah. dog's brain reaction. However, cats think that humans are just dumb cats. What? Yeah. So basically what registers with cats is that humans are similar to baby cats. And that's why they bring us dead bats and rats is because they're trying to teach us how to hunt. Oh my God. Yeah. 
So essentially dogs are like, you are different and I love you. And cats are like, you're a big dumb baby. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. I was like, it makes sense. But it it also like kind of says a lot about how like dogs and cats react. Because mm-hmm. dogs do like love you unconditionally. And yeah. it's a, there is this feeling with cats, I think, often where they're, they carry themselves like they're superior to you, sure. you know? Yeah. And so this idea that cats That's are... That's why it's so funny when they fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just spent, like, a good, like, 30 minutes the other day with my boyfriend watching cat videos, and, like, I don't know the last time you guys watched funny cat videos, but... No, I love my it. God. When they... <laughs> so funny. When they think they're, like, when they're really confident about something, and then they, like, fall or something. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Glorious. Yeah. Yeah. But with, like, a dog, like, that's not as funny. It's like, no, oh, it's sweet sad. baby. Yeah. So it's like we kind of think about them almost in the opposite. Like, yeah. we think dogs are just kind of like, I mean, I don't want to say we think dogs are dumb, but they, they need more nurturing. Oh, yeah. definitely. And cats, you're like, you're fine. <laughs> You've got this. Yeah. You don't need me. You've got how many lives left? You're, you're good. Yeah. Well, cats were the first animals to, like, like, they came to humans to be domesticated because they're fucking smart. Yeah. They were like, oh, I'm going to go to these humans and they're going to feed me. Mm-hmm. And that is a pretty solid deal. True. And so they, like, approached humans, and then that's how they became domesticated. So it was really, like, them just being really smart. I was going to say, so basically cats are in control of everything. (laughs) Probably. If you have a cat and you think you're in control, think again. Yeah, wrong. Incorrect. (laughs) So, segue. Yeah. (laughs) Today... We are going to talk about our good dear friend, Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah. Oh, Hieronymus. Hieronymus. He is something. He was quite the dude. He was, I don't know, in so many ways, very ahead of his time. He was just doing Mm -hmm. weird shit. I think that's a lot of why people love him. Yeah. Because whenever you see something... Like, on a much smaller scale in terms of fame, like when we did the Helma F. Clint episode where it was just, like, she was so ahead of her time. Oh, yeah. And that is a lot of what's making her more popular. Sorry, I burped. <laughs> um, more popular Sorry. now. But, yeah, I think with Hieronymus Bosch, it's like, damn. He was making that then. Like, yeah, it seems yeah. so crazy. And but. aesthetically, that's what's kind of interesting, too, because his figures and his work they have, I mean, technically he was around in the Renaissance, but yeah. his work has a very, like, medieval feeling mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're looking at work that looks decidedly medieval, but it's so weird and mm-hmm. so not medieval, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's like, what was happening with this dude? Yeah. He was a creative son of a bitch is what yeah. he was. Yeah. For real. Hieronymus. I also heard it pronounced Hieronymus, which mm. I don't... We're, we're, that one. we're not going to do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> he was presumably born in 1450. We don't know exactly. Because uh, there isn't a lot of historical record on this. Yeah, dude. there's really not. Yeah. I was interested to see that. I saw... Did any of you come across something saying that his real name was... Jerowen Van Aken. Yeah, I heard he went by yes. many names. Yeah. Like, but there's multiple names. Yeah, because fa- he ha- came from a family of painters originally from Aachen, Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's gone by several names. Hieronymus, and then, I don't know how to pronounce it, Hieronymus with a J at the front. J. Hieronymus. <laughs> Geronimus. And then Jerome, Jerome, or Jerome, Jerome, and my personal favorite, Geronimo. Geronimo. <laughs> Wait, 
Yeah. Interesting. J E R O with a little accent. Yeah. N I M O. Wow. Geronimo. Yeah. Fascinating. So he's a man of many names. Yeah. And not a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's pretty much believed that his last name was actually Van Aken. But where he gets the Bosch, this is a very common thing for, yeah. for medieval yeah. and Renaissance artists, is it comes from his hometown, yeah. a Flemish town called Sahurten... Hertogenbosch. German. I don't know whether that was remotely <laughs> correct. But her, yes, Hertogenbosch. Sert- I think it's Sertgen. Sert- Just because I heard it pronounced by someone earlier and it sounded so subtle that I wouldn't have guessed it's that many letters. Mm. I feel like they like really limited it down. Yeah, to, yeah, like, yeah. One or two sounds. Well, Bosch is at the end of it. Yeah. So um. think, I mean, think think Da Vinci. I mean, that's yeah. the best way to equate it. Leonardo totally. da Vinci's name comes from the town of Vinci in Italy, where he's from. They're pretty much contemporaries. I think Da Vinci was born in fifty two. They're I yeah. don't remember, but yes, yes totally. Yeah, they are. they're contemporaries. Yeah. They're born around the same time. Yeah. Different yeah. locations, different lives, but and that's yeah, just a very common thing at that time is your last name derived from where you were from. Yeah. And then um, if you become the most famous, you get to own it. Yeah. There are not a ton of Da Vinci's out there. He's <laughs> not the only person from Vinci. Just like there aren't a ton of Bosch's. Yeah. As far as I know. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Maybe yeah. there are more Bosch's. I don't know. I've never heard of Bosch. I feel like, isn't Bosch the name of like an appliance? Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind, but I know that it is. <laughs> <laughs> People tend to think just from his style and the fact that the Prado in Spain owns mm-hmm. a lot of his work, yeah. people tend to think that he was a Spanish painter. Mm-hmm. Not true. From the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. He grew up in the Netherlands, and as we said, there's not much record of his life, which kind of adds to the mystery of his work. For sure. On top of the fact that his work is really weird and mysterious, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but then not having the background information kind of just adds to that. He, once again, presumably died in 1516, during an outbreak of the plague, no record that he actually died from the plague, but there was an outbreak of the plague in the area he mm-hmm. lived in at this time, so maybe he died of the plague. So I saw an actual date for his death somewhere. Do we think that that maybe is just fabricated? or I don't Because know. I know that his birth is definitely like, mm-hmm. like yeah. I've seen in a lot of places there's like a five-year span where they're like, it could have been like anywhere between 1450 and 1455. Technically it could have been anywhere in there but i saw august 9th 1516 that's very exact i know that's very exact yeah because one of the articles i found was like commemorating his whatchamacallit 500 years after his death when quintennial quintennial yeah 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 thanks guys the quintennial anniversary of his death yeah that did just happen yeah it would have been last year on august I definitely know that that happened in 2016, which I'll talk a little bit more about. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of the, like, because I did read sources that didn't give a definite date and kind of suggested that it was... And there's been varying ones, too. It seems like there's a lot of debate in terms of, like, certain dates and Mm -hmm. his life and, like, what he was doing at this time. Yeah. But, I mean, we can go with that. August August Nine. of uh, 1516. Sure. That's when he passed on. Went when on he, to the Gardens of Delight. When <laughs> he, Delight. When he passed away. Delightful shit. Yeah. <laughs> Very delightful. Um, <laughs> when he passed away. I don't know why. I don't know why in certain contexts, 
saying like pass away. Like I was, where was I? Like last weekend and there was some guy that was just like, you know, sometimes I, when it's so hot like this, I just worry I'll pass away. And he was like Whoa. 20 something years old. Was it Paul? Paul uses Paul that all the time. <laughs> Paul Paul and Faith always, th- they throw in just pass away in a really, yeah. like, weird... See, mess. I feel like that's, that would, like, not offend me, but, like, <laughs> catch me off guard, whereas... I think that's why I, I would die Paul has said it so much mm-hmm. that, like, to me, it's somewhat more normalized, yeah. where, like, I just that, assume when someone say say it's says so it... It's so funny. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Treating it tenderly because it actually happened. Yeah. But, like, when, you, when you're talking abstractly, usually people are just, like... I'm going to die. I know, but D-I-E. This this heat will make me pass away. (laughs) Oh, when I pass away. (laughs) Makes Um, you think, doesn't it? (laughs) Hieronymus Bosch thought about passing away a lot. He sure did. Good segue, good segue. He He thought about it. He sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, Bosch. (laughs) You would appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, okay, in uh, 1463, so Bosch would have been a youngin at this time, there was a wildfire that swept Den Bosch, where mm-hmm. he lived, yeah. which shows up in his work. He deals with yeah. these really cool mm-hmm. silhouettes of fires in some of his works that mm-hmm. are really, once again, ahead of their time, I For think. Sure. They're, they're, I don't know, the type of thing I think you could only really reproduce if you had experienced something like that, like yeah. being yes. caught in your town literally ablaze. Um, <laughs> so that is something we know about his history that does show up in yeah. his work. Yeah. As Jenny said, he came from a line of painters, his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and many uncles. All of them liked to paint. <laughs> he was respected in his community. He married wealthy, basically. Like, so he wasn't bad off, and then his wife was wealthy as well. Right. So he, respectable marriage, you know. Yeah. He did um, well for himself. Yeah. Seems like he reached up a little, like he just climbed up a yeah. couple steps on yeah. the social hierarchy. Definitely. He he made made his life work for him. He was a member of the Brotherhood of Our Blessed Lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which worshipped the Virgin Mary, uh, which was... Brotherhoods and confraternities are so yeah. interesting. We should do an episode. We should. We should. There's a real culty vibe around it that you kind of oh. gotta get past <laughs> and not be judgy. But first instinct, when you hear of, like, any brotherhood, you're like, yeah. slight raised eyebrows. Just, it's like, just groups of men, like, getting together eyes. and doing... Like, really interesting rituals. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of how I feel about fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's Um Definitely. But, yeah, I mean, no, Greek life is a fascinating thing. Ooh. I bet you we could. It is. We could do Greek life, like art history angle. I think we could probably do something there. There's a lot of symbols and like. A Email lot us of, if you have any ideas. Yeah, yeah, I could do some research on this. I got some. I got some I talked, contacts. I talked towards the computer and not the mic, <laughs> like a confused. 80 year old person <laughs> like I've recorded so many episodes and I just like pushed my face up to Corey's computer I just did it again because I was showing you but seriously or maybe just a like slightly drunk person that could be it too I hope not I need to drive <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, if any of our listeners are part of the Greek world and have some interesting insights to just symbols and art yeah. and stuff, I think that could be a really fun investigation. Symbolism, ritual. Yeah. There's oh, a lot yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot totally there. a lot there. And then just the contemporary existence of Greek life. It's taken on its own thing yeah. now. So, yeah, that would be cool. Email us. You or, guys do a lot of crafts. They yeah, do crafts. I keep thinking of those paddle things. They have to, they have to decorate paddles. <laughs> they're crafty. <laughs> they are very fucking crafty. Those sorority girls, man. They're 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 busy people. They're always doing like like volunteer work and stuff. Oof, they yeah. they for them. always got events to go to. So I mean, like hats off to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's a fascinating thing. So if Can you, you have... tell none of us were in Greek. My we college had like about two like sororities. Anthropological <laughs> studies. Oh no, this is the best. My college didn't have Greek life because there were like 2,500 people yeah. at the whole oh, school. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. It was, it's a very small university. But my senior year, someone started one sorority and one fraternity called uh, Gale Sisterhood and Gale Brotherhood. And I was just like, cool. Going for it. <laughs> I had just seen the ins and outs, not the ins and outs, but I had seen enough of Berkeley Greek life that when I saw them doing oh. this, I was like, oh, guys, <laughs> so cute. <laughs> like Greek life was actually really big at both of the undergrads I went to. So I went to Iowa State yeah. for a while. Greek life was fucking huge there, sure, probably not sure, surprising. Sure. And then I transferred to uh, University of South Dakota Greek life is very big there as well so it was always a big thing and I thought about doing it for like five seconds because I came out of high school like I was on dance team in high mm-hmm. school and it's very in some ways very similar like mm-hmm. you're super tight with your team you have yeah. sleepovers you have sure we do yeah, volunteer yeah, yeah. work yeah. We do, so. I think a lot of uh, big schools like that a lot of athletes don't feel the need to get into Greek life right. because it is in its own way like athletes are the sure. same Sure, sure, sure. Have their own unit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. They they operate in a lot of the same ways as Greek life. Yeah. And so coming out of high school and that being such a big part of my life, I was like, hey, maybe just having a house full of uh, friends, ready-made friends would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She used the term ready-made. She is an art historian. Yes. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Greek life, while none of us actually partook, I mean, I went to, I guess I went to some parties. I went to some at Davis when I was an undergrad. I didn't go to Davis for undergrad, but I had friends that went there for that. And I remember going to a, a nautical-themed party yeah. at a fraternity. And I was not in theme, nor was my female friend. Our male friend was not in theme. And the guy at the door was like, you're not even in theme, bro. <laughs> Literally, I'm not even exaggerating. And our friend was like, well, I guess I'll go to In-N-Out. I'll see you guys in a bit. And we're like, no. Like, we just want to go. Get on theme. Yeah. Get on um, the theme wave. But yeah, if... After this long rant, if you have yeah. any interesting insights into the visual culture of Greek life, we would be interested. Or the ritual culture of Greek life. Yeah. I think that could be a really cool investigation. I but so too. let's get back to the to, brotherhood. To the brotherhood of our blessed lady, which wor- worshipped the Virgin Mary, which is also interesting to me that it was a brotherhood worshipping the Virgin Mary. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of those. Or mm-hmm. were. There yeah. were a lot. I mean, yeah. Catholicism fucking love they Mary. They love the Virgin. Which I... I it's, com- so it's complicated. It's complicated. It really as is. But on some level, on some level, mm-hmm. like I said, as someone who grew up very Catholic, sure. I do appreciate the fact that you have a strong 
female image at least. For sure. You know, the not that... The problem is that she's completely desexualized. Yeah. And that's the reason that she's <laughs> yeah. appreciated. Yeah. That's the one caveat. Oh, you're definitely. Right. No, you're it's right. a problem. It's definitely a problem, yeah. The desexualization of her, she's a virgin, like, all of that super and fucking problematic. the reason why she's... yeah. But still, being a small child, it is just good to reinstate the idea that a woman is worthy of worship, mm-hmm. which yeah, is, sure. I think, important. So there are... Jesus respected his mom, guys. Respect your moms. Yeah, respect your moms. Just the Mary characters in general, like Virgin Mary, Mary Magdalene, like, it's mm. all very interesting. I know. Could do an episode on that, too. If Fuck. We, could. we could, man. <laughs> we could do an episode on the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> And I, I will read or speak seen. with flames flicking <laughs> you from my read tongue. I've never read, read it, it, and I haven't seen the movie. I've seen I the movie. No, oh, I you guys should no read it. You should read it. Yeah, it's entertaining. No, you really should read it. I've, I started I've, trying to read the other one, Don uh, Inferno or whatever, his one that no. takes place in Florence, and I was like, oh, I can't. No, like, I promise you. No, that's like you, Dante-esque. It was, I don't even know. I read, like. 10 pages that would of piss it. Me off it was one I that read came out all way of the divine comedy and yeah. I, I would get pissed about yeah. that. But honestly though, like the movie's not good. You should read it. I mean, it was a book I, you know, read in high school and I loved in high sure. school. I actually want to reread it again because I think it'll be really entertaining, but I honestly think both of you would enjoy it, but you'd also have some really interesting insights. I think mm. you didn't like Mariah just said they're entertaining. entertaining. They really are. I'm like, just such a, I'm such a stickler though, because like I had a professor when I studied abroad in Rome who was a Borghese. Like she was from the family Whoa. and was like a cool lady. And she's like, yeah, I've taught many courses on like how many ways the Da Vinci Code was incorrect. Being like, oh, you know, the secret passageway between the Vatican and Castel San Angelo. Like it's not actually a secret passageway. It's just an open walkway. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can see it. So maybe I read it, but. Oh. I mean, it's definitely romanticized and fictional. Of course. Fictional of course it is. But I still, it's oh. one super easy read. Of course. It takes, like, yeah. yeah, it takes like no time. Yeah. 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 And I I mean I almost think it's more important for you guys to read it because of that reason. Because oh, like yeah. I mean you might get mad, but like I think it'd be in a good way. I, I think it'll yeah. be in an interesting I am, way. I am not a stickler for like I historical have it. I accuracy have it upstairs right now if you want it. In like many things, but anything like Italian Renaissance Baroque era, I'm like, that's fucking wrong. Like there was a Netflix original series on the Medici. Yeah. And like one of the women in it was wearing coral lipstick the whole time and I was like that shade was not available back then. I started watching this Netflix series about like Marcus Aurelius and Commodus and the fall of Rome. Oh, I saw that one too. I was watching that. I just, fucking Commodus, man. What a piece of shit. Oh, I know. Like, it was really bad. What a piece of shit. Anyways, yeah. that's really good. I'm going to actually watch that after you guys leave. But I think you should all read Da Vinci Code and we should do a book club-esque episode. I'm done. I think yeah. it'd be really interesting and okay. fun for readers because, or fun for listeners because I'm sure a lot of them have read it. Oh, for sure. Um, and no shame to those who have. I fucking loved it no, I, when yeah. I was younger. Like I loved that book, and yeah. and there are things about it that are super entertaining. And it's okay to love it for people who don't like. Of course, I don't mean to yeah. sound like as an no, asshole no, no. snob. No, I'm, but I'm just very particular in like very few areas, and that's one of them. I think, <laughs> I think most people, when it came to their field and their expertise, would feel the same way. But then we also just need to say that like we we don't judge yeah. you for enjoying that stuff. And like yeah. Dan Brown, I know he hasn't claimed to be like. This is all accurate. Yeah. This yeah. is all real. To be completely honest, though, like, 
trying to take something positive from it. Like I said, I read that book probably when I was 14 or 15, yeah. and I really loved it. And that was also at the time when art history was really, like, sparking sure. for me. Sure. And so that book probably helped yeah, probably influence did. my path into art history. Probably. I never took it as, like, an actual source or anything. It did create this adventure around yeah. art history that made I've, it very exciting for me. I've heard sure. that. I've heard that. From it's like people. Indiana Jones for art history. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I appreciate Indiana um, This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we've gone on about a billion tangents already. (laughs) Hieronymus. Let's focus. Okay. So as I said, he was often confused for a Spanish painter because huge majority of his paintings belong to the Prado in Mm -hmm. Spain, which has created kind of a contention between Prado Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Flemish people. Yeah. They. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't own a single Bosch. Yeah, that's technically, up. yeah. Was it I the Habsburgs know. that bought most of the? I'm not sure. Mm. Oh, that um, would make sense, I, though, right? I think that would I make sense. Hurt, and then it just went to Spain yeah. rather than ah, that would be a really interesting history to follow. See, I feel like I kind of I want to. I'll do a blog post on that because that's something that I can do. A blog post on. Please do. I will. I'll do. The, <laughs> I'll follow. I'll see if I can find the history of Bosch paintings with the Habsburgs and how so it they seems like ended up in the historically Prado. that could be part yeah. of. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a documentary mm-hmm. on Netflix called Hieronymus Bosch touched by the devil. <laughs> 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 Black villain. <laughs> <laughs> Try and make a guess how we feel about this. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, though, like, That's straight off the... dramatic title. Exactly. And this so documentary... You know, thought about that and was like, Yes. But, that, but that's the problem. If you're going to have a fucking dramatic-ass title like that, your documentary should probably have some drama in it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but this documentary is so dry. Yeah. And it's like, really, it was a huge bummer because the documentary was made in 2016. It was just oh, made. Yeah. And it's about a fascinating well, artist. Everything at their fingertips yeah, to make it glorious. Exactly. Yeah. It's a fascinating artist. And in my opinion, I like... I had to fast forward some parts. I was bored as shit. And it just kind of like, it just played into that stereotype of art history being yeah, boring. Yeah. Um, the documentary, it follows the Bosch Research and Conservation Project. Okay. Which happened, as Natalie brought up earlier, at the 500-year 
Quintennial. Quintennial. So there was this big project of, uh, I think it was maybe five art historians. One was like a physical art historian. You know, like they all had their specialties. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So, I mean. You can get so deep. Yeah. Like, um, it was was really cool because there was a lot of footage of them, you know, with their special tools. Like looking at all these paintings up close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for that aspect, it's worth watching. Mm -hmm. Visually. Mm-hmm. very interesting because you get this what like it's shot well lots of cool images yeah and really high quality images of close-ups of Bosch works yeah which is important because Bosch is all about the details for sure he's such oh a detail God. artist yeah. and so there's so many moments in this documentary of just you know some kind of cool weird music in the background like instrumental music yeah, yeah. and just scanning the details of these paintings very high res yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. so visually it is worth it if you like Bosch I would watch it and and watch for those things and then maybe fast forward through the stupid bureaucratic bullshit that happens in between. Yeah. Because that was the problem with this documentary is there was so much bureaucracy. They Interesting. did they did address the contention between Spain yeah. and the Netherlands yeah. over his work. Yeah. But not in a way that was particularly interesting or, like, sexy, which is, yeah. like, it's kind of an interesting, like, spat they're having. Totally. You think you could make that interesting. Wasn't really that interesting, at least the way they portrayed it. Huh. Except that, like, the Prado was like, yeah, we have all the Boshes. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Like, that's basically what it what it comes down to. Right, right. Um, and, and then there was so many drawn-out scenes of just bureaucratic conversation dealing with this big Bosch exhibition and it wasn't even interesting it was the type of stuff that if I worked this job if I was a curator on this job it's like the type of stuff that would be the stuff about my job I don't like you know like it would be the stuff that you have to kind of get through because it's part of working in the field it's not worth watching like a lot of it like there was one scene where it was just like three curators deciding what name was gonna go on a wall text and it was like Mm. why why yeah it was it was not so I was having these feelings about this documentary and whenever I have strong feelings about a movie or documentary whether it's really positive or negative I tend I go to Rotten Tomatoes I'm a big Rotten oh, Tomatoes fan. Me too. Um, yeah. And I, I read I other reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because, while I'm not a huge review person, because I think sometimes critics are assholes. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I do it if I have strong feelings, because I kind of just want to see what the general consensus yeah, yeah. is. And I went on, it didn't have a good rating, and I was reading some of the reviews, and there was one that I was just like, yes, exactly. And all it said, two words, curiously incomplete. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was like, yes, like... Yeah. So it's really a documentary that had amazing potential. Like I said, visually speaking, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's Bosch, so yeah, they had a lot of help. Yeah. Oh, but sure. also just the film work is good. Oh, for sure. It's good sure. shots. There's uh, Towards the end, there's these really cool shots of this. I think he's like a conservator, like mm-hmm. working very closely. And oh, it's yeah. It's in like this dark room with like wood panels. It's a really beautiful shot. It sounds beautiful. Yeah. So there are, film-wise, there are very beautiful shots. So... Hats off to the filmography. Well done. And yeah, and and if you're interested in high-res images of Bosch, definitely check it out. But all the in-between quote-unquote story Mm -hmm. is really rough. 
like it's not about the history of Hieronymus Bosch. It's about how these paintings have been acquired. Right. It's about this battle between totally. them. It's about this big exhibition that went up in 2016 that was almost complete. It didn't have Garden of Earthly Delights because mm-hmm. the Prado was like, it's too delicate, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I buy Come that. On. I think the Prado is probably just like, no, it's ours. But yeah. that's just. Well, because also, wasn't it, wasn't this one of those instances where they didn't have anything to give back? Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is a huge thing for those of you who aren't in art history or an art-related field. Like, museums, when they get blockbuster works, it's because they're giving something back to that institution. Yeah, like, it's all about what you can trade, essentially. It's so, all about pats on the back. It's exactly. all about, like, So yeah. you offer someone something a few years down the road to get something ten years down the road. Like, it's... Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you're really really and i mean like deeply interested in the bureaucracy of it then maybe this documentary is worth it to you because even mm-hmm. though it's boring at times there might be some some things that are highlighted it's so, an interesting window yeah I mean, yeah exactly potentially. you still might get bored at times but yeah. like yeah. i'm not gonna claim it was all lost like it's i don't want to be an asshole like it wasn't like a piece of shit documentary by any means it just wasn't what i expected yeah, it to totally. be so one thing that does kind of come up in this documentary and elsewhere is that, so attribution is a big thing with Hieronymus Bosch. There are currently 25 paintings and 20 sketches that we believe to still be in existence by Hieronymus Bosch. Mm -hmm. That's what's attributed to him. However, he did have a workshop, and historians have concluded that he had a left-handed assistant, (laughs) um, which is fascinating that to is me. so detailed. I know. Like, the fact that they can figure that out and they can tell the difference between a painting by his left-handed assistant like and art him. forensics. Exactly, that yeah. That would have been such a cool field if I was better at science. Yeah. I, mean, I wish I was better at science, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's definitely some of the people in this documentary sure. are, like, oh. forensic-y people. Absolutely. Um, and basically, a lot of these works have either been attributed to Bosch that were actually like misattributed and they should have been to his workshop or it's also happened the other way around where paintings have been attributed to the workshop of Bosch you know like this left-handed assistant but they actually were found out to be Bosch's for example the temptation of Saint Anthony Mm -hmm. sat in storage for decades at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Missouri. And it was, oh. yeah, it was, it was <laughs> believed to have been from his workshop, but recently they attributed it to Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, it was one of five, right? There was like five in storage that were supposed to be of his workshop, and then they finally figured out, like, it was oh, him. Oh, 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 guys. Just hanging out in Kansas City, man. Yeah, <laughs> I. I don't know. There's a lot of good songs about Kansas City, so I feel like it's a cool, cool place. Uh, I know that's that's not. Is it not? Kansas City's fine. I don't want to hate on Kansas City. Um, That being said, I also haven't really checked out the art museums there. And I know for a fact that art museums in the Midwest can be surprisingly amazing. So I will not judge until I check out the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in Kansas City, Missouri. It's on our radar now. So Temptation of St. Anthony... Attributed to Bosch was just hanging out there in their collection. Let's see. We kind of were talking about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Bosch had a thing for St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Nat? I just noticed it in browsing my little Hieronymus Bosch dot org <laughs> website <laughs> where they have all of his works listed here, which fit into a neat five pages. 
just kind of goes over the Bosch paintings. And as I'm scrolling through them, I noticed there were a lot of depictions of St. Anthony. And so I, you know, came into this pre-recording being like, does anyone know his obsession with St. Anthony? It seems oddly prevalent that he bears some connection. And then I was looking it up and to add to the whole Spanish thing, I mean, St. Anthony was not Spanish, but he was from Portugal. So that kind of adds to that whole Iberian area, like him being from there, it just kind of adds to the layers. So I could 100% see why people would think that. Not to mention that nothing about Bosch's style screams Northern Renaissance at all whatsoever. (laughs) But I also, um, I mean, sorry to jump off St. Anthony for a second, but I heard from somewhere that there was, maybe it had to do more with his workshop, but there was like a following of people painting in this style or like it wasn't pulled out of nowhere necessarily. Mm -hmm. You said that Bosch came from a family of painters. From what I gathered, this was a cultivated style. It wasn't as random as some people like to treat it necessarily, but I again haven't seen any evidence to prove that. (laughs) So who knows? But yeah, he paints quite a few St. Anthony themed paintings. So the St. Anthony thing has an interesting connection in the sense that we got to talk about it because it's a it's a theory and it's a theory about every artist in the past that has done something weird. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the theory that Hieronymus Bosch had ergot poisoning, which is why his work is so trippy. Which because ergot poisoning is what's linked with like a lot of the witch hunts yes. and like people thinking they were werewolves. Yes. So ergot poisoning basically was very very prevalent at this time. So I mean it's not an insane theory. It was very yeah. prevalent. It was very prevalent in this area at this time because it occurred. It occurred in like bread. That's it, right. Yeah, in yeast. That's right. And, That's right. And so right. they were it, all eating bread. Yeah, everyone was eating bread. Everyone was eating bread, and a lot of that yeah. bread had ergot in it. And yeah. ergot creates a effect very similar to LSD. Oh boy! <laughs> and so those poor people. <laughs> so the thing that happened with ergot poisoning is, speaking as a historian, it's very common for historians to just look at anything insane and crazy yeah, and be like, like there's probably ergot. <laughs> It's probably it's probably what it was, which is it's interesting to me because it's like LSD has been around for a long time, and every time something crazy happens right now, we don't go it's LSD, you know. Yeah, Even though LSD yeah. is around and very yeah, accessible, for sure. we don't automatically jump to it every sure. time someone does something creative. <laughs> yeah. So like it's a little much, but that. Yes, that um, that's a leading theory with the witch hunts mm-hmm. that there was ergot poisoning going on, so it led to things like hallucinations yeah. and crazy shit, basically. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria, <laughs> exactly. It was often referred to as St. Anthony's fire. Right, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It is very interesting. Well, because that's what he died of, right? Who? St. Anthony? Maybe. Oh. <laughs> Look it up. He wasn't like skinned alive or no, no, no. <laughs> rotated no, no, no. on a yeah, because, spike. Because that's it. Because when I saw that he was that Bosch had this weird thing with Saint Anthony, I started looking up facts on Saint Anthony, and I'm pretty sure became sick with yeah, ergotism, a disease which is now known as really? Saint Anthony's fire. So yeah, it 
Yeah. Whenever I hear of a saint dying of like somewhat natural causes, that's always surprising. I know, and, and the fact that he's so famous. But I, yeah, from what I gathered, I think he's famous because he's like the leading follower of Saint Francis. Right. So that right. I think is why. This was up, my boy, Saint Francis, yeah. right up there. Aww. Love that dude. Look at him he's with so those dogs and the birds. I know. He's just, so gentle and docile. He's just hanging out with the animals. Yeah. People love Saint Francis. So people love Saint Francis, and by extension, they loved Saint um, Anthony. That's that's what I gathered. And also, yeah. apparently, St. Anthony was tripping balls. So. Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, it says that um, he went in a woodland retreat. Poor guy. He didn't see it coming. Um, there he lived in a cell built for him under the branches of a walnut tree. Anthony died on the way back to Padua on the 13th of July, 1231, at the Poor Clare Monastery. According to the request, he was buried in a small church. Yeah, so it really doesn't give a lot about his death, but it sounds huh. like he just died from that. Well, we're going to do an episode on drugs and art. Yeah, we're going to do an episode on drugs and art, so we'll look more into this and... Because I think that would be a really good approach yeah. is like this whole ergot LSD thing and totally. how similar are they actually. Um, but the thing with ergot poisoning is, yes, it can be very bad for you. I mean, plenty of people had it and survived, yeah. but you can get very sick from it. Yeah. Yeah. They, a lot of the symptoms and stuff I'm reading make it sound like the psychosis stuff is minor and that most of it is like nausea and vomiting oh. and like poisoning diarrhea. Yeah. yeah general poisoning yeah right. so what is that other might be carbon monoxide i think it is where yeah. you can get that and you have like visual and auditory hallucinations Wait. and that can happen a lot when people think that their house is haunted or something Did you, li- oh. you listen to that, that was yes, on uh, this american life or okay. ted radio hour it was one of the two one, of, but one episode yes. i didn't want to listen to this immediately uh, i'll find it for you yeah but it's really good it's, you it's essentially really about a girl who thinks that her yeah her little cottage i think it's a cottage too it's like yes. a townhouse is yeah. is haunted yeah and she's truly convinced and like desperate inside or whatever and she eventually finds out that it's finds like a ghost hunters board but like for very pragmatic people so first they'll ask you a bunch of questions like do you have a carbon monoxide detector is it turned on and that was what it was and then she formed a podcast based off of that debunking Mm -hmm. ghost story things and i'm I want to listen to we'll all of this. Yeah. We'll find She's it. She's great. She's fantastic. I definitely... Now we'll find it. I can't remember. I have spent... <laughs> no, but I had that feeling. I was like, am I being poisoned when I'm living in the guest house? And because one of the symptoms is a feeling like pressure on your chest and a feeling of dread. Oh. That's how they describe it. So imagine like feeling that way. You're just anxious and stressed out and you just... You feel like someone's watching you. It's like all the symptoms for carbon monoxide poisoning truly Insane. sound like you're being haunted. That's so interesting. So creepy. Because, so I definitely have spent plenty of time watching, like, ghost hunting shows. Oh, 100%. Like, I was really into paranormal states. I was literally just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, like, I love all of that shit. Yeah. But when I think about it, a lot of those places they go to visit are usually, like, like there's a lot of, like, trailers or, mm-hmm. like, old ass house decrepit and yeah it's like not up to code fuck man <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah so everyone just has carbon monoxide poisoning it's possible for probably it's at least 50 percent that's so sad yeah. yeah yeah what if what if bosch had carbon monoxide poisoning was it possible? I don't think he did. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's come back to this uh, because this has been the most ranty episode. Let's combat those uh, theories that he is essentially tripping balls. So yeah, I think we should talk about that a little bit. It is a theory. There's a video I actually watched on it from How Stuff Works that I'll link to the website because it's interesting. It, it's a theory that he was he had ergot poisoning and he was just on drugs and yeah. that's what created all these characters, which very well could have contributed. It could have been a factor. It could have been something. It definitely could have. However, there are plenty of other things that could have been going on. Yeah. The Garden of Earthly Delights, for example. I feel like we could talk a lot about a lot of his works because as we talked about, they're so detail-oriented and Mm -hmm. there's so many just weird things to look at. But Garden of Earthly Delights is the big one Mm -hmm. it's it's the big guy it is dated between 1490 and 1510 so once again vague it is a triptych there is debate over whether it was used as an altarpiece or not right yeah some people say it definitely was and some people say no it wouldn't have been an altarpiece it was too weird so Uh, i i don't know i don't know i just heard a very convincing argument that it actually was and I have to, and this is my little combat to the um, whole ergotism thing. I just listened to a podcast, I'll link it to our sources, where um, this art historian discusses how every single element of the Garden of Earthly Delights can be associated to a line in Psalms. I'm not sure. Hold on. The Bible. Yeah, it's one of them, is yeah. Somewhere in the Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say it's Psalms. It's probably Psalms because it's a P one and it's not Proverbs, so it's it's Psalms. Probably. Okay, we're gonna do that. It's Psalms. That's Psalms is very poetic. Yes, so. and apparently. But I also feel like I'd imagine some of his. That imagery, would make sense because it's the third in it, so it would be shortly after. Like I feel like some of his imagery, at least this is just you know me speculating but that some of his imagery would come from revelations yeah what i would think. um i don't probably but i don't but the garden of earthly delights supposedly is straight out of psalms and talking about like they talk about how it's either like foreboding what could happen or saying like what will happen because of the fall from the garden of eden and whatnot and um <laughs> All that, all that jazz. <laughs> that, that <stuff. laughs> um, but apparently in Psalms, I have not read it. Shame on me. I took a Old Testament class <laughs> in undergrad, so I should know this. But describes like everything he's describing, like these absurd animals that are like out of proportion and seem to us so far from anything out of nature, but are apparently described in Psalms and can be related to these characters so i thought hmm. that was super interesting for sure and this guy was saying like with pure confidence like yeah i can tie each of these pieces to this book yeah in the, the old the, testament so bible, i don't know the bible especially the old testament has some crazy stuff Pretty trippy shit yeah the, so um, bosch was a, a fascinating a very religious man and i love the <laughs> idea that people look at bosch's work and are like this dude was nuts and then it's like no dude this is literally Ooh. out of the bible yeah. that you swear that you well, follow and it's like... The Bible's nuts. I like, know, but people try and act like it's not. I and know. that, to me, is what's so fascinating. Dude, I know. Think about Whether... the context in which the Bible was written. I mean, right. there was a lot of shit going on. Yeah. It's um, just, if you... I don't know. I don't understand saying you follow the Bible and not recognizing how fucking nuts it is. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on yeah. in there. And you could still, like, follow it. But you, of course, have, yeah. you have to admit that it's not... 
uh, cut and dry or clear or mm-hmm. like you have to admit what's actually happening in that book is it's not pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Garden of Earthly Delights, as we said, it's a triptych. If you haven't seen it, we'll have images. There's also, we'll link. Um, oh, yes. There's yes. a really great page where you can just explore the mm-hmm. whole thing mm-hmm. like up close. It's amazing. I've probably spent hours just like hanging out and like because there's so many details and yeah. you can actually like go into and explore the Garden of Earthly Delights. It's really cool. So we'll link that as well. But it's a triptych, seven feet tall, 13 feet long. The center panel is six and a half feet wide. So it's a big guy. The whole thing is very large. And it depicts the first panel is. Is it pre-fall or is it the fall? It's the fall. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so the fall from the Garden of Eden. Uh, I think it's pre-fall and fall. because Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think it's a mix of... Yeah, yeah, And then the middle panel is Earth, but like in a very... <laughs> in a very... Um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Oh. Kind of... Apparently, Salmian. Salmian? Like like the salt. Yes, salmian. Apparently, according to it's, the it's, sky. It's... I mean, it's supposed to represent present existence on Earth, but not realistically, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, more, I think, in, like, a poetic metaphorical sense. Mm-hmm. And then the third panel is essentially, like, what comes next. So hell is yeah. the easiest way to describe yes. it is hellfire yeah. and yeah. damnation. <laughs> well, and, and another interesting feature of the middle panel is supposedly, like, in the center, it's a little more, I mean, it's all like, nonsensical, but, like, it's supposed to kind of unravel as you get to the edges. So if you really pay attention to the figures and creatures and what they're doing and what they're made up of, in the middle, supposedly, they're more reasonable, I guess, and they become fringier as they get to the edges, like, it metaphorically kind of like... Well, the thing about the middle panel that is fascinating is, like, the middle panel looks like a fucking good time. Like, yeah, it's I... weird, but it's happy. It's like there's lots of weird creatures, and there's some, like, weird, like, sex stuff going on. And, like, on the, edge, on the edges. Apparently, like, all the partnering and stuff gets more prevalent and obvious as you get closer to the edges. They're, like, huh. subtle innuendos where yeah, people yeah. are, like, paired off. And there's like more like sexual by nature. Of all the panels, it has a much more pleasant vibe. It's <laughs> colorful. It has a mm-hmm. very Eden-esque quality. It's people enjoying themselves, but they are engaging in things that would potentially be frowned upon by traditional <laughs> Christian doctrine. Um, so it's, we, yeah. it's kind of like a, I don't know, in a lot of ways it's very like Bacchanalian. There's partying, but it's not it, it's not depicted in a way that's like, oh, this is a ruckus and this is, you know, disgusting. And I don't know. When I look at the middle panel, I'm like, I'd want to go to that party. Like, yeah, I'm looking at a beautiful scene right now. The guy in what can be described as, that's a yoga pose, and I can't remember what it's called. It's kind of close to puppy. It's a little <laughs> different. And he has flowers coming out of his butthole. He does. He does. That he does. Yeah, right? They're just flowers sprouting out of his his anus. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, we should probably go back and mention, just for people who aren't familiar with this work, that it is, yeah, it's a triptych. And on the outside, so when the panels are closed, there is a grease eye painting, which just means that it's painted gray. Essentially, if you saw it, you would think it looked like baby uh, pencil or like charcoal, but it's paint. And it's a sphere that's supposed to be kind of like the creation of the earth, right? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a little god mm-hmm. figure up in the left-hand corner, and it's him creating the earth, and he's speaking 
the words of creation, and I think that it's in the painting. It's like quoting what it says in Kings, whatever. You guys can tell I paid a lot of attention in. That. No, I was gonna say like the. I think the outside is equally as fascinating. Oh, it's and gorgeous. It's a really yeah. Like it is supposed to depict like the creation of the universe, and in the left hand corner, upper left hand corner, there's an image of God. But it, you know, this is also in the 1400s, 1500s, mm-hmm. and so it has this just the imagery and the shapes that are used. It it kind of has like a scientific feel. It mm-hmm. kind of has an alchemical mm-hmm. definitely kind of a feeling to it. Definitely, um, there's it's just this image of the world, like yeah, being created by God, but you can also see this influence of science or alchemy. For sure. Or, yeah, no, and I mean, in general, a lot of times the paintings on, like, when a triptych or an altarpiece is closed, what's painted on the outside is just really interesting, because you don't see it as much, yeah. typically, mm-hmm. but, like, that one, it's like, whoa, whoa. And you can also look at that at the interactive mm-hmm. Bosch thing. You can look at the outside as well. It's very cool. But, yeah, so ultimately, this painting, this triptych, is very super Christian, mm-hmm. theological, dogmatic like he's dealing straight from the bible yeah his christian ideals are coming through however i don't know at least for me personally what i connect to with this work and what i think a lot of people connect to with this work is there is some kind of this like empathetic connection to reality and to the human condition like it's not just like this religious painting at all like it dives deep into the human for sure. existence for sure of everything and in a way that while he is setting up these three panels and he's setting them up in accordance with the bible and what it says will happen to the sinners i feel like these images aren't always i don't know they're not necessarily foreboding or scary all the yeah. time even though they're weird like there's just a sense of embracing the human condition within it, which I think, as far as religious artwork goes, is definitely way before its time. For like, sure. For to sure. be able to just, to create a triptych that's definitely biblical, like yeah. undeniably mm-hmm. biblical, but yet taps in to something about human existence that's so present and complicated and not just strictly how it comes from the bible there's something very human that comes through in the work in my opinion yeah totally and um another kind of side notey thing is like it's so easy to look at the work and consider it to be so like fantastical like yeah that things are so made up and i i think it Again, I need to look into the biblical references, like the direct ones with the figures and everything, because I heard from good authority that they're there. I have not read it myself. But also this tree that's in the left panel that looks completely made up, if you look at it, (laughs) apparently is based on a very real tree called a dragon blood tree. And it's supposed to be exactly based on this tree. Interesting. And let's see. That looks pretty similar yeah interesting yeah and it's a trippy looking tree and supposedly that's what the tree looks like when it's cut it bleeds this red oozy stuff that looks like blood and that's where it gets its name from the research i've done it seems like a lot of stuff in bosch's paintings can be directly related to real things so this whole like lcd trip like to be fair though i totally agree But 
once again, I don't know what it's like to have ergot poisoning. Like, so it could have been a completely different thing. You've lived a good life. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about psychedelic drugs is that, as I said before, yeah. is they bring new perspective to things that exist. Right. Mm-hmm. So I agree that just saying, oh, he was on drugs, like, that's, you know, you, you should think about it more than that. Like, yeah, I think that's yeah. a very dismissive way to look at it. For sure. Or, oh, he had her gut poisoning. Like, it's dismissive. And many of these things, yeah, like you said, they came from the Bible. They came from real life. That being said, I don't think that's proof that he wasn't on drugs. Right. Because mm-hmm. I that's think fair. drugs could very much influence creating very animated characters that sure. come from a real place. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Like, because, yeah, like, you're right. That tree does resemble this tree. Yeah, it resembles this tree in real life. But it also is, like, it's in his own style. style. It's different. It doesn't realistically depict the tree. Mm -hmm. It's clearly based on the tree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't, in terms of the drug conversation, you could be tripping and looking at a tree and create, you know, put it in a painting in a slightly more stylistic way. That's entirely possible. Sure. So once again, you shouldn't just like write her on Miss Bosch as like, Oh, he's crazy. He was on drugs or yeah. he was, you know, cause that's stupid. But also it is possible that it maybe, maybe there was some, er- some ergot in his bread sure. and it maybe opened maybe his eyes a little. Just a little bit of yeah. Yeah. Which exactly. Is Small kind of, dosing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Micro dosing on yes. ergot. <laughs> exactly. And we would have no way to know, which is the fascination of Yeah, exactly. Bosch. Because exactly. there is just aesthetically, there's something slight, you know, somewhat otherworldly about totally. his work. And so it, it it does make sense to me, this idea that maybe he was, you know, his mind was open in certain okay. ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not proof that it was yeah. either. And it um, comes to the problem of, like, projecting modern day yes. thoughts yes. on exactly. people of a different time. Exactly. I know we talked about this with in terms of the Baroque, and I'm sure we have in other podcasts, but, you know, we, we can't do that. We can't look at the 60s and then try and project that onto someone. Right. Exactly. Gotta look at it somewhere. with period eye. Yeah. Quote, Baxendall. I would also... <laughs> I would also like to know if there have been a lot of tests on the similarities between LSD and ergot. Like, how similar were they? How different were they? I can't they? imagine yeah, that they were... I'm, I yeah. mean, they seem to be just such wildly different compounds. Yeah. <laughs> that it, it would be surprising to me if they did. I mean, maybe ergot has some more similarities to, like, shrooms. Well, that would make sense, too. I also wanted to briefly talk about... So, in the third panel of Garden of Earthly Delights, which is the, the Hellfire panel, there is an image towards the center of a, a cracked eggshell man. Yeah. That, I love that guy. <laughs> that has been thought to be a self-portrait of Hieronymus Bosch. And it does stand out. It's it's not an image. Like, you don't see another image like that in the entire triptych. <laughs> it's a very, just this little guy peeking out. Yeah, I'd love to know if there was a depiction of that in Psalms. I know, right? It's that just, was written out. It, I would love to hear that visually described. It's definitely different than than the other imagery in this portrait of a man kind of peeking out right in the center of the third panel. And I wanted to bring up, like, what do you guys think it says that, if it's true, if it's a yeah. self-portrait, what do you think it says <laughs> that he painted himself 
in the in the Hellfire. <laughs> this kind of reminds oh. me of back in the Bad Boys of the Broke when we were talking. Wasn't it Bad Boys Broke? I think we were talking Continue about on. an artist putting themselves in a self portrait. The other thing yeah. I'm thinking of, it's not Broke, but oh, Michelangelo puts his self portrait on um, the, the skin, skin guy. of the, the because of the bee, right? A uh, saint. And that's like a last judgment scene. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's <laughs> just like he's just peeking out. Yeah. It's like, it's like what, out. Cause it's very casual the way that it looks. It's not yeah. like he's not in pain or no. like upset, but it's like, why would he put himself in that panel? I don't know. You know, he's such a mysterious <laughs> so dude. Much mystery. Yeah. So I much. really don't know what to make of that. If, that is him. I mean, I don't know. Like, what would you be trying to say with that? <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, maybe I'm trying to piece it together, but, like, like I said, I do think there's something about his work and Garden of Earthly Delights that's very human and very connected to humanity. And, I don't know, maybe as many humans and many devout Christian humans experience, yeah. maybe he was kind of placing himself in this place of, like, we're all sinners and we're yeah. all, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good idea. I, I mean, a lot, I mean, so much of his work deals with, like, moral decay and not mm. necessarily, like, yeah. the way that a lot of artists approach it. I don't know. It's not, like, a big, like, guilt-ridden, so dark, whatever, but his art resides in that zone of dealing with human fallacy and, like, moral... Uh, depravity and things like that mm-hmm. and not necessarily from a judgmental standpoint yeah but just like approaching it and like for sure painting think, scenes associated with it yeah and and i think that's also seen in the center panel because mm-hmm. there's a lot of argument over whether the center panel is is it joyous is mm-hmm. it meant to be judged is yeah. it you know is yeah. it meant to yeah. express a celebration of earthly pleasures is it meant to be a judgment of earthly pleasures right right, right, like so it's there's the fact that there's so much wiggle room there and that he doesn't give you a clear message is very interesting it is because if at the end of the day what if hieronymus bosch is just saying like fuck it we're we're all going to hell yeah (laughs) like that's that's a possible message and what's interesting i so apparently the owls in the painting are meant to symbolize the devil versus using the traditional snake metaphor which is really interesting yeah which i liked though because it kind of fits better because owls are like they're nocturnal you know they come out at night they're quiet they're mm-hmm. always watching they've got these big eyes they swoop down and like attack their prey like they are very kind of oh, i usually think of owls as being very wise but yeah are, but that's know. like taught so there's yeah, owl, true. there's an owl true. on the left panel that's like tucked away in the little center of that pink form there's an owl in this two owls in the center at least probably more because there's lots of birds but i don't see any in the double panel or double panel. <laughs> the devil panel. <laughs> panel. It's the note. devil. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I think I saw maybe an interview or something about the whole owl thing, which was really interesting because, yeah, they're typically, at least at this time, considered yeah. to be, like, sinister oh. type figures. Um, and at this point in history, that is what they represent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. someone also brought up that these owls 
like the way he paints them, and he paints them in a lot of paintings, like yeah, yeah. not just Garden of Earthly Delights. He really likes the owl figure. Mm-hmm. Is that he paints them in a very like curious, watching, almost like wise kind yeah. of way. Yeah, so it's it. like yeah, so it's like in in a gentle way, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like so are yeah, are we dealing with something sinister? Are we de- dealing with something calm that just observes? Are we dealing with both? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool to have the devil personified as something, though, that's, like, not instinctively threatening, because I feel like that's much more realistic with, like, the devil's character. Mm -hmm. For sure, like, for sure. The devil doesn't, like, run around just trying to scare the shit out of people, like, he's, like, (laughs) sneaky and subtle and just, like, always there watching and, like, waiting for the right moment and, baby. Black Philip. Black Philip. <laughs> Never forget. Do we have any other any other thoughts Bosch on points? Bosch points. I mean there's so much to say about him and I like know. there's so much mystery surrounding exactly. him. The mystery around him is kind of unlike I'm trying to think if there's another artist that comes to mind that is mysterious as Bosch. <laughs> and I'm not know. I'm not coming up with one. No. Yeah, and and it is yeah. partially because we have so little knowledge of his life, right. and right, and so whenever that happens with historical characters, you just you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm gonna fill in all the blanks, yeah. and so yeah, I mean, I guess those are some of our thoughts on Bosch. There's a lot of more, like a lot more directions to go. We didn't even talk about a lot of his works, but if you have any thoughts or or things you'd like to contribute. Email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, should we do a couple listener mails? Yeah. yeah. I have you- one pulled up from a girl in junior high. All right. This is from Heather. Hey, guys. So I'm a junior in high school. Oh, junior in high school. Because I was like, wow, she says junior high. Only my dad calls it that still. Like, <laughs> usually people say middle school. Okay. She's <laughs> in high school. Sorry, Heather. I just saw junior and then high school and went from We're there. used to skimming. Yeah. We've done a lot of skimming. <laughs> hey, guys. So I'm a junior in high school, and I love listening to y'all while I'm in the car and when doing art. So I plan on taking an AP high school art history class this year, and I'm very excited to learn more about it, but also super nervous about staying on top of studying and note-taking for the course. I was wondering if y'all had any tips on how to stay on top of studying and note-taking for art history, also any resources, books, websites, other podcasts that could also further educate me on the topic and help make the class a little easier for me. Thank you so much for reading this, and thanks for making me laugh to myself. Yes, making me look insane to passerbys during every podcast. Love, with a lot of ease, y'all. And a smiley face. It's so sweet. That is sweet. That's cool that, that your sweet. class had... My high school did not even have a history shit. Let alone AP art history. I had an art appreciation class, oh, which was kind of art history. For sure. Um, But not quite the same thing. Um... We, if you haven't listened to our, did we just call it art school? Art history school. Art history school episode. <laughs> and the bullshit episode, too. And the bullshit episode. Art, <laughs> God. The art history school episode and our, our bull S episode. I feel like I've said shit too many times this episode. Um, say again. Anyways, uh, those ones we both give, we all give some tips on that, but just kind of like off the cuff. When you're in class taking notes, like, usually 
your teacher will indicate what images are whatever one that they talk about the most that's what you want to take notes on and when you take initial notes unless they give you like a slide ID thing where they give you like the artist the title the date all that if they don't do that definitely write that down and then talk about the context in which it was made you know any prevalent details mm -hmm. that your teacher says what else a good tip that we got from one of our professors was to take your notes as thoroughly as you can during the class so yeah. do everything that Jenny just said and then after class, spend like a solid hour sitting down and filling in what you remember and you didn't have time to jot down while it's fresh on your mind. Yeah. So if you read through your own notes right after, things will click that you still remember but didn't get a chance to write down because it's too quick. It can double your information just in that moment. Whereas if you try and do it right before the test weeks later, it's not going to come back to you the same way. For sure. Um, so it's probably something that won't be easy right away, but if you get in the habit of it, it would be a great habit to have. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like for studying for exams, if you can make flashcards where you print out little images, glue it on like one side of the flashcard and on the other have, you know, artist title date, all that, and then like maybe just a couple sentences more about what it is. If you don't want to like print all of them out, what I used to do was just make a PowerPoint presentation just for myself where one slide would have the image and then I'd go to the next slide and it would have all that info. So like I, the image would come up and I'd be like, okay, this is, you know, like the wave. I'm like, I don't want it. Okay. Hokusai, <laughs> like, oh. um, so you can test yourself. Yeah. There's also a lot of apps now, yeah. That, yeah. apps and websites totally. that are free where you can download images into one side of the flashcard mm -hmm. and put the information on the other, which we Do did we remember not... remember the names of those? Because they weren't around when Yeah, I there, was... there was one. I think I, hard I, to find. I think I, I remember... Quizlet. Quizlet? Oh, I remember yeah. Quizlet. Yeah. Quizlet. We, we mentioned that in the Art History School okay. episode. Yeah. There's Because there was yeah. another one I, I used, I think, first year of grad school. I was going to say. Um, so there are, there are plenty of them. Yeah. So yeah, you can do PowerPoint. Point, you could I, I like the physical ones are kind of fun but you yeah there's plenty of ways to put it on your phone so you can practice yeah. when you're yeah. just like sitting at the DMV or something totally but definitely if you haven't listened to those two episodes because I think we we went to a lot of, sure. of information and, and tips and things For sure. among other things but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. there there's, there's there's some meat to pick out <laughs> yeah there was some good information in there but so yeah. and like Khan Academy oh yeah you can find yeah. them on YouTube they're pretty good they do a lot of different things, so you, you could certainly find what you need from them. Other podcasts, I mean, we're the best. <laughs> Art Curious is good. Mm -hmm. That's Art Detective is the one I was listening to. I haven't listened oh, to that. Oh. I hadn't either, but they had a Bosch episode. And Art I Detective. Really, it's a Oxford graduate is the well. host, and then she brings new people on cool. every week. She's got an adorable English accent, and from the one episode I listened to, did not seem like overly pretentious or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's also State of the Arts. They haven't released anything in a long time, but they, they have quite a few good ones as well. So mm -hmm. there are there are other ones and I, I yeah, there's lots of resources out there. The internet's an amazing place. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh another luck, yeah. Yeah, good yeah. luck to you. <laughs> Thank you for writing. Another quick listener mail. 
Subject, you guys are awesome. Art history rules. Dance is cool. Wow. I agree with all of those things. They just spoke right to your heart. They did. Yeah. That's why I wanted to read this one. <laughs> hey, art history babes. First off, just wanted to say I love the podcast. You guys are all super cool and bring such life to the show and the subject matters you discuss. I just recently listened to your Euro Babes show and it was so sweet to hear about all of your adventures, especially the exhibition at Musée d'Orsay, which I also recently attended myself. Aww. Secondly, I am a a recent dance major and art history minor graduate, and my head's a swirl with interests and potential topics of research. Girl, I feel you. Yeah. Being a dancer and self-proclaimed art history buff, I tend to be drawn to both the intersection and relationship of the two subjects. I was wondering if the babes would be interested in doing an episode on dance, performance art, the relationships of artists and dancers, or anything along those lines that spark your interests. I love learning, so even you guys, even if you guys don't do an episode, I'm super open to any resources you guys already have and would be willing to share with me. Again, love the show and keep up the awesomeness, Brie. Um, so, yeah, this message just, like, spoke to my own heart. Um, my last couple years in undergrad I pretty much did nothing but take dance classes and art history classes so like that's just (laughs) like my life um so all of those things I'm super interested in performance art very into the intersection of dance and art there are some really just cool examples of stuff like modern stuff like uh Kandinsky did a lot with like modern art and um minimalism a lot of famous minimalism was influenced by modern dance and so there's just like a lot of really interesting intersections there especially from the past century so definitely we'll put that on the docket future dance related episodes because there's so many different routes we could go with that so thank you for your message Brie we appreciate it thanks Brie very sweet and thoughtful if you have any thoughts for us, email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon for bonus episodes. Yes. Patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. You will have access to extra episodes. It's really dope. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can write us a review on iTunes and we will be forever grateful. All of that stuff. Check us out. We're around. You guys are awesome. Goodbye. Like, there was a Netflix original series on the Medici. Yeah. And, like, one of the women in it was wearing coral lipstick the whole time. And I was like, that shade was not available back then.